Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we look and listen with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Hagar. Yep. So uh, we're in Genesis 16. Yep. And we will, in just a moment here, read Genesis 16 closely to its entirety, all 16 verses of Mm -hmm. it. Um, But before that, you want to give us some context? Yeah, I thought set the stage for where we're entering in to the story. Yep, that's great. Um, For those that aren't familiar. So a couple chapters back. In Genesis 12, Abram, who is still Abram at this point, has not received his name Abraham in Genesis 12, is called from his father's land to go to the land that God will cause him to see. And um, he has left everything behind and traveled to what is now uh, modern day Israel. And there God has shown him that this is the land and the place he's supposed to be. There's been some other travels that have happened. They've gone down to Egypt. They've come back. Um, But a huge part of what is promised to Abram in both Genesis 12 and 15 is that he's going to be a father of many nations. But at this point, Abram still does not have any children. Um, He's kind of taken, at one point, took a safety net with him and his nephew Lot. Um, But they have now been separated That happened in 13. Um, And so now we come to this point in the story that's estimated probably 10-ish years at least from the time that he received the promise, maybe more. So from the go, I'm going to make you into a great nation that's going to be a blessing to all the people, maybe 10 years from, from then to now. Yeah, 10 years, give or take, until this moment in Genesis 16 and... Abram still has no children. So, and he was roughly 80 years old when he yeah. received the call. So 80, if we add 10 years, he's now 90. Um, we don't know exactly the age of Sarai, but it's probably not young. Um, and especially not in terms of being fertile um, from what we can tell. So yeah. um, even though we don't get a specific age for her. Um, so time's ticking. So even like, yeah. So like while we don't get it, it's, it's harder to do the Bible math on, on where it is. We do bump into her in a couple chapters here at the, what's been called like the hospitality of mm-hmm. Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, which is the inspiration for Rublev's Trinity icon. Um, <clears throat> we do hear her laugh and say, um, I'm, 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 I'm well past my, my years to when the angel says this time next year. And she's like, ha 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 funny. So, right. She's self uh, admitting that she's past the point of where she imagines. Right. Okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, but that's yep. great. Yeah. Um, do you want to read? Yeah. But can uh, we notice one other thing you yeah, pointed absolutely. out like the safety net of lot, which yeah. is, I think is a fair reading it, right? He says, go leave all of these things behind, and he brings his nephew with him. Right. So when he brings Lot with him, it's sort of a question of like, why? What are you doing? What are you getting out of bringing Lot with you? Mm-hmm. And especially what does it mean to bring Lot with you when you've been told to to leave things behind? He, so, <clears throat> right, so you have Lot functioning or, or Lot interpreting Lot coming with him as a, sa- a safety net. 
And I think, again, I think that's fair. But then also we st- as we step into this story, um, we see the safety net part two, or we see this impulse that mm-hmm. that they have that I think all humans have, or all humans that engage with or interact with the divine on, or that experience some sort of promise or like, hey, you know, we try to help it along. Yeah. <clears throat> and the part of what's embedded deeply in the story of Abraham and Sarah is that uh, God's God's timing isn't exactly our timing, and God's timing isn't exactly convenient to our timing. We we would like it, especially now, uh, now. <laughs> right. So I think adding to the context here, recognizing that what's happening here is them trying to help God along. Right. Um, bef- well, okay. Should we talk about the sexual thing that's happening to Hagar here now, or do you want to wait till after we dive in and read? Let's dive in. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll read the first um, three verses here from 16, Genesis 16. Okay. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right. Let's talk about these verse, first three verses. Um before we dive into the rest of it. Um, this is one of those not easy passages in the Bible. Um, and I think for a long time, the way that I initially read the Bible, this was a story to like pass over quickly and kind of avoid because it's awkward and difficult and um, a bit challenging. Because it's got this sexual thing that's happening mm-hmm. to Hagar as as featured or as like the uh, like a crux for the whole the whole thing sits on this. Yeah. 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 And it's this um I guess it's also a good good argument for why that like the Bible doesn't try to paint itself as this pretty picture of people that are without fault um that you might expect of a religious text. Mm. Um so in that regard there's something lovely in it that they're not trying to hide the scars and the bumps and the flaws, um, but it doesn't make it any easier to read. Uh, yeah, I, and I think what's super interesting f- is how we impose our modern morals or our current right. ethics or what you know upon an ancient text. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not sure that there's ever a moment in. Um, maybe as we get further into the New Testament and Paul, how Paul's talking about some sexual ethics, but I'm not sure we ever see a cultural aversion to what's happening here. Right. I'm not saying it's... Yeah, I mean, it... I'm not endorsing it. No, right. (laughs) But there was, and we can address that real quick, there was an element of this was a culturally normative practice. This was not unheard of. Um, so when you're looking at, when they're looking at their surroundings and what other cultures are doing, this is a natural option to them. Doesn't mean it's a, 
good option or the right option, but it is an option that their culture says is appropriate. Um, And it represents why it's an unhelpful thing to, sorry, I got unplugged. Why the idea of like, oh, biblical X, biblical Y, biblical Z. Like my therapist talks about biblical parenting and he's like, well, make sure you 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 put to death your child when they're disrespectful per <laughs> right. per the Levitical prescriptions. So, <laughs> um, I even like maybe further. I think that this represents, like, for Hagar, this is a step up. Yeah, I mean, we 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 don't we don't know, but we can assume. So, like, we don't know where Hagar comes from. Like, other than that, she's Egyptian, but we don't know. We don't know her story, but we can make some assumptions based on what we know about the world at the time, that if she's been sold into slavery to Abram and Sarai, that life probably has not been great for her up to this point. Well, I would even just simply say she moves from slave girl to wife. Well, yeah. And then, yeah, that's the next piece of it. So, like, she's probably comes from a very poor family um, that... There was no other choice than to sell her into slavery because they needed money to feed the rest of their kids. And what do you do? I mean, that, that's, it sounds so weird and foreign to us. But um, this was a thing that people did back then because if you had a whole family to feed and you can't feed them, well, and maybe you looked at Abram and Sarai and thought they seem like pretty good people. And so maybe they'll treat her pretty well. Mm-hmm. And um, so off she goes. In the mid the midrash has Hagar being the daughter of uh, of the Egyptian king. Yeah, I know, but that like, why would a king sell his daughter into slavery? But it seems like he would have more likely <laughs> given him to him as a wife, sure, as a second wife. Than anyway, that we digress. But yeah. um, but yeah, there there is an element that for her, societally speaking, if she now moves from being a slave girl to being one of Abram's wife, then that is a step up for her culturally. So it's really hard to know how she might feel about this. We don't know her age. I picture her as young, mm-hmm. um, at minimum younger than Sarai and Abram. So there's this like elderly man who is going to have sex with you and become your husband. And so while culturally it gives you a little more standing yep. um, and more security mm-hmm. in the wor- in the ancient world, which for women was a hard thing to come by if you didn't have a husband. Um, And yet, like if we really call it what it is, she's being raped. I mean, she's not, she does not have a choice in this matter. She's not asked about this. It's just, Oh, here's my maid go into her. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Right. Sarai gives the consent. Yeah. She doesn't get to give consent. And um, as much as we can, we can understand that that was a culturally normative practice. It's still very uncomfortable, and that doesn't mean it was morally okay just because it was appropriate culturally at the time. Right. Like it's. It, I think we can look at that back at it and say yes, it was culturally appropriate. We can understand why a Brahmin Sarai make this choice, and it can still be immoral. Yeah, right. It's one of the th- things that accidentally happens is we equate everything that happens in Scripture. So we just think that this has God's approval. But that's not actually what's happening here at all, right? This is not neither directed nor ever affirmed as being a good thing for multiple reasons. This isn't what God had said would happen. Um, 
so you've got the Abram and Sarai helping God out again. But again, we want to be generous to them in that because, you know, we we want to help God along after five minutes. Yeah, this has been 10 years. Right. And, and they're choosing something that, like, this is normative. So yeah, it's yeah. It, like, it. they're looking at this is a culturally acceptable practice. So why wouldn't this be an okay way? Maybe this is the way that God wants us to do this right. thing. Right. And again, we're and, not, like, I don't think either of us are defending this. No. Um and I think what what I'm saying, and I I bet I think you're with me on this, is that um, God's God doesn't defend this. <laughs> this isn't this isn't Correct. a choice or an approach that as we'll see later. Right, as we'll yeah. uh, absolutely as we'll as we'll see um, with it later on. But it's I had somebody ask me we we um, I, I preached on Hagar once, and it was a great question. Like, what do you do with what do you do with the sexual assault um, that happens here and I I wasn't really quite sure how to how to respond to it. Right. Um and I think since then I've really struggled with it to recognize that and I think actually this is the deepest the most uncomfortable truth is that God continues to work through broken fallen humans mm-hmm. that exist within broken fallen cultures and societies and um and there's you know Man, I can't believe this. I've been quoting Paul more than I like, than I'm comfortable admitting. But we step into this sort of notion that really resonates with with some of the stuff Paul says in Romans, right? There's what you see and get disappointed by is that there's nobody that's right, righteous. There's nobody that's acting justly. Right. Everyone's um, everyone's working out their fears up in the world, upon the world, upon their neighbor, and this is why Jesus is called to to love your neighbor and love your enemy is so revolutionary because it even speaks to Sarai and Abram here, whose fear has them sinning against Hagar um, and using her to sort of try to get what they think is coming. They're trying to provide for themselves and they're squeezing somebody else for it. Right. Jesus says, love your enemy, love your neighbor, don't do these things. You know, trust, love God and love your neighbor and love yourself. And, And so anyway, so... I think for me, one thing that's helpful is to try and put myself in each person's shoes. And if I if I step back, like I can understand why Abram acts the way he acts. I understand in this story, I deeply identify with Sarai and how she's responding and interacting in this story. And I deeply identify with Hagar. Yeah. Like, can you put yourself in each of these individual shoes and see the good, the bad, and the ugly of what they all experience in this? And that, yeah, like you, I mean, who of us, I mean, granted, most of us haven't done something quite as extreme as offering our slave girl to our husband um, or something even remotely that bad in today's culture. But we've all stepped on someone else to get where we think we're supposed to be going. And many of us have done that in the name of ministry or in the name of yeah. um, of seeking God's will for our life where we have maybe just by not considering another person have injured someone. And so we, none of us are free from having um, hurt others in our attempts to do what we think God wants us to do, um, which is a part of our all of our brokenness. Um, and as we'll see when we move forward in the story, there's even a, like Hagar, even she plays this oh, yeah. to her advantage as well. And so as, as uncomfortable, that's part of why the whole story is so uncomfortable, I think, for us, because it's recognizing that this is sexual assault by, for sure, by today's standards. And I 
feels like to me. We got a TV show about this. <laughs> it feels like, right? We do. Um, it also feels to me that even in those standards that there's, how did people think this was okay? But but she even uses that to her advantage. It's like, this is my lot in life and I'm going to I'm gonna milk it for what it's worth because I'm now, she's now in a position where she has a little more power than she did. And, and we see that come out. So like, it's just, it's, it's so complicated. Yeah. Right. Should we keep reading and Let's see do. it? Let's do. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's picking up here at verse four. Uh, he, Abram, went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she ran away from her. Yeah. (laughs) I laughed because just like the way the Bible talks about sex here, he (laughs) went into Hagar. Okay. All right. So we know what happened. Yep. Lest there there be any doubt. Right. We, Um, thank you. Okay. I love this part. I love this part of the passage because of what it does literally. (laughs) What do you mean? Um, So you read contempt. Yeah. Um, Fox's translation has, um, so when she saw that she become pre- became pregnant, her mistress became of light worth in oh, her yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's this, dial back and set this. So there's um, the word kavod, which is usually translated as honor or glory and often refers to God, um, an, an attribute given to God, um, is really the word like weighty. Or heavy. It's like a if you were to put something on a scale and it's heavy, it would be kavod. It's significant. Yes, it's significant. Um, this makes sense in English too because you, I don't give any weight to what he said. Right. Like think of it in like that regard. That um, or his his um, his or her viewpoint holds weight in my life. Mm-hmm. Their their advice holds weight to me. Right. Um, you be, call somebody lightweight. Oh, you're there's they're a lightweight. Right. right. Yeah. So we we get this concept. This is exactly what happens with um, weight and lightness in in the Hebrew. Is that um, if when something is kavod or honor or glory, mm-hmm. that holds weight in your life. You honor it. It um, it's hefty. It it makes a difference. Something that is light. So um, is the opposite of that. Right. Um, and so this is what happens where, you know, you think about a, a, a maidservant and she has no power whatsoever. And then now she's been used poorly by these people um, and become pregnant. So all of a sudden there's this power shift in the in the relationship because she's done the one thing that Sarai has never been able to do. Yeah. And that is provide Brahm with a son, with a child. And so, um, so now the tables have turned and Hagar is looking down on Sarai that she's like, you're the one who's held lightly because you aren't able to do the one thing that women are supposed to do in this culture. I, by the way, okay, let me say in this culture, I do not believe this is the only thing that women are good for by any stretch of the imagination. I'm happy to hear you say that. Thank you. But in, we do need to recognize that in ancient Near Eastern cultures, this was, this was where women's value came from because society didn't allow them to do 
really anything else. They couldn't own property. They couldn't own things. They couldn't like their their greatest value was in their ability to produce children for their husband. And that was the way that they contributed to family, to society, to the whatever local economy was. Um, Again, we just see the cultural context that we have to fit within in order to hear and think about what's going on here. Right. And and you know some people might might be like well, well then why do we need this if we have to do all these gymnastics to get into it and my fast response to that cuz i think it's a i don't know i think it's a valid question right if you have to do so mm-hmm. much work the question is is it worth it and while my answer might be yes somebody else might be like show me why it's worth it i like just cuz it's worth it to you doesn't mean it's apparently worth it to right. me and one of one of the ways i i engage with this is Every single context, every single person, every single moment needs contextualization. There's nothing in your life, there's no moment in your life that you are able to be well in without reading the room and going, where am I? What's actually happening here? What's not happening here? And discerning between those things. And so we have to do some discernment when we come to the text. And again, it does a beautiful thing for us because it teaches us how to do some things we need to do in real life, which is ask some really good questions and see what's happening and maybe what's not happening right. uh, in it. Uh, can I pivot into one other thing? Yeah. I'd, I'd never noticed this before, <clears throat> and this is why I love studying, reading these things over and over again, how much what the dialogue between Abram and Sarai sounds like the dialogue between, where am I going? Do you know? know? Adam and Eve. Oh, sure. Right? Oh, yeah. It's blame. <laughs> yeah. No, no, nobody's taking responsibility. Everybody's blaming. And th- they're not choosing good things for each other. Right. Well, and it's so funny to me because Sarai in this moment, like this was her idea. And then the woman you gave to me and then the wrong done me is upon you. Like this is all your fault for doing the thing I told you to do. Right. And then Abram says, not it. He's playing hot potato. Right. He says, she's in your power. Right. Which is partly at least true because it's like, this was your idea, but uh, Abram... You went along with this. Like, yeah, you, you are complicit. You, you, like, yeah, you didn't just, like, she didn't just pop, get pregnant for nothing. We just add that you came into her. Wa- you were actively involved in this Washing situation. your hands, washing your hands of the situation does yes. not absolve you of it. Yes, nobody is clean here. Right. And, um, but, uh, but at the same time, like, this is one of those moments where you're like, Sarai, you just, like, you, you got what you wanted. And now you've realized that you didn't really want it. She didn't. Right. Right. Like it's, I mean, how many of us have ever asked for that thing that like, I, God, I so desperately want this thing. And God's like, all right. And you're like, oh, wait, maybe I, maybe I didn't want this. Yeah. She just takes it. She just takes it and makes it happen. Right. And I'm, I would suggest she's not awake in this moment. And of course she's a, right. But there's a way in which she's not aware of herself. She thinks she is, but she hasn't thought about how this is going to work out. And I don't think what happens is all that. I mean, it seems pretty logical to me. Like, what did you think was going to happen if Hagar got pregnant? Did you think she was going to stay in submission to you? Or did you think she was going to use everything at her disposal to better her life and the life of her child? Like, right? Like, this is... right. And I look at Hagar, I'm like, of course she's, I mean, could she have responded better than she did? Yeah, probably. But I don't blame her. But I don't blame, I don't either. Like, I, they're all using each other. Yeah. Right. The culture here you is you're me, my stepping, right. Like this is the result because now I'm the one who has power. Right. And 
I may be abusing my power, but you abused yours. Is it like, this is the way we work. Like, we're not great as people about saying, oh, even though I was used, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do back to you what you did to me. Ideally, that's how we would respond. But none of us are good at that. Everyone's using the other as a stepping stone to to elevate themselves. Like, I can't fault Hagar for this response. Nope. Nope. And uh, it reminds me sort of how this is the opposite of what we see happen, what we see Christ do and then demonstrate, right? I'm thinking of Philippians 2 here, where Paul um, Paul's describing Christ as being sort of engaged in ways of living that are other mm-hmm. <laughs> than we are. Uh, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy... Be of the same mind, have the same love, be of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That doesn't sound like what's happening here. Um, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. That doesn't sound like what's happening here. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Doesn't sound like what's happening here. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of the slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point even of death. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. So, right, we have... Um, I, I like to think of this as a as a like a conversion story <laughs> or a moment when you go, oh, we've got some things to fix. Right. We've got some things to work on. There are things here that are not as they should be. And we can find a whole bunch of reasons to find understanding and compassion and go, okay, you know, but at the end of the day, it's still a, a moment of deep sadness because yeah. um, they're all, the power is what's happening here. Right, right. And they're all dabbling with the power that they have and using it to their own advantage. I've never thought about this as a story about power. Oh, yeah. But it's really about power. Yeah. Okay, should I keep reading? Yeah. Or do you want, you got more here? No, I think we, um, well, it, okay, I'll just add, this is a little fun tidbit. I mean, so Hagar, right, she's Egyptian. That's basically all we know about her. Yeah. Um, we don't even know what her name means, um, which is a rare thing in uh, in biblical Hebrew to just not even have any idea what a name means. Um, so she's, which essentially ma- makes her somewhat nameless and identityless at this point in the story, mm. except for the fact that she's from Egypt, um, which if we fast forward in the story, the descendants of Abram are going to have a whole history with Egypt, right? Right. Um, and so in verse 6, when Abram has told Sarai to deal with her as you see fit, basically. And so Sarai afflicted her and so that she f- had to flee from her. That word afflicted is the same word that Pharaoh mm. u- does to the Hebrews. So this is like, there's a little bit of a like turnabout is fair play <laughs> thing Ugh. that's going on that we tend to think of Pharaoh as being like, you afflicted. Um, with hard labor, yeah, the the Hebrews and how wrong that was. But like Sarai and Abram, the first Hebrews, did it first to an Egyptian. So it's like you, this whole history between Israel and Egypt actually starts, well, I mean, I guess maybe it starts back when Abram and Sarai go there in the first place and Abram lies to Pharaoh about Sarai being his sister and 
like almost gets them into a really dark situation um, that is narrowly avoided. So like there's this, this issue between Egypt and, um, and the Hebrews goes back way farther than Exodus. Um, and we see the, the beginnings of it here in this story with Hagar. That, And again, not that like not that because someone did this first to you that you should do it back to them and then it's justified. Like I think that uh, Jesus pretty well shows us that it's not, it's not actually the way that it works. Like someone has to stop the cycle right. at some point. But we do see human nature in this, that human nature doesn't want to stop the cycle. Human nature wants to keep up in the ante and... Um, you afflicted me, so I'm going to afflict you. And then when the power flips, you're going to afflict me back. And then when the power flips, I'm going to afflict you back. And it just goes on and on and on like that for centuries. Right. The wheel turns. Right. <clears throat> I uh, Well, okay, so this might end up being a two-parter. Two-parter. Because <laughs> uh, there's something else here that I think we need to stop and see before we move on. And it is, if we go to, uh, if we go to verse uh, 4... Actually, if we go to verse 2, uh, what does Sarai say to Abram? You see. Right? So she says, you see that that the Lord has prevented me from, okay? Uh, we get down to verse 4, and we see that after Hagar conceives, um, we see she, she saw it. She sees it. And, um, and then <clears throat> when uh, Sarai complains to Abram, she says that, you know, when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me or she saw me with contempt or with lightness. Um, and it this whole thing has to do with, like, seeing is how you see. Why are you smiling? Oh, I, I just think Abram's entire story is about how you see. Okay. From start to finish. Like, we would need to do a trajectory study on Abram and, like... But, okay, but what do you like? Yeah, what are you like uh, needling here? Well, it's just I think every step along the way, God is God is trying to teach Abram how to see in the way that God sees, and that theme is just rampant through Abram's story from the very beginning. Go to the land that I will cause you to see, cause you to see, and then when <laughs> they're in, when well, him and yeah. Lot are separating, there's this whole thing about seeing and like what Lot sees and what God shows Abram. Yeah. Um, allows Abram to see. Yeah. And then we have this moment that like they're not seen well. He didn't see well in Egypt. Well, and if you're in 50, if you go to 15, if you go a chapter mm-hmm. before this, um, God says to Abram, he brought him outside and says, look up to the heavens, see the stars yeah. and, and, and count them. Yeah. So this, this way you look and take in life has so much to do. And I don't, I, um, I want to be careful here because I can get a little cheesy or yeah. this can feel a little like, you know, um, and I'm not talking about rose colored glasses, right. right? No. But what we, what we want to see that scripture is constantly talking about is this question of how do you see? And for humans, the invitation is constantly, um, turning away from seeing the world like we see Abram, Sarai, and Hagar doing here. Like, how can I get ahead? And instead trying to see the world, the creation, the way God sees things. Yeah. How does God see things? Yeah. What's, what's, what's a, what is the way God looks? And again, I think we get, well, for me, Christ is the one who best offers me insight into that. Yeah. Well, and I think we, when we get to the end of this chapter, we see a bit, like if we're paying attention, we get to see the way that God sees Hagar. I'm, and right. so it's just, 
which is why it's this has become one of my favorite passages to study. So it's gone from being one of my least favorite passages in the Bible to being one of my favorites because of what it teaches us. And why it's worth it to work through all this exactly. context and this yeah. difficult, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to stop here? Yeah, I think so. My favorite line is in the next maybe half when 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 the angel says that oh, yeah. Ishmael is a wild ass of a man. Oh, yeah. Which is, oh, God. I mean, teaser for next week, but we will dig into that. And um, maybe it does not mean what you think it means well, because I'll t- of the way that it gets. I, I'll, I'll throw it out. All interpret or all. What's the word I'm looking for? We're going to need to dial this back because I'm losing it. Um, all translation is interpretation. And what I mean by that is when it, we, in Hebrew, there are often multiple ways to interpret or to translate a word. Mm-hmm. And how, what we choose um, is often dictated by our own bias and by history and not by what is actually in the text. So there's a little <sighs> teaser for next week. Okay, so next week we're going to get with where yeah. where um where what happens to Hagar after Sarah Sarai and Abram have the convo mm-hmm. and Abram says, "Well, you do what do to her whatever you want." Right. Which man, I start to hear like what what? No, go ahead. Oh, I start mm-hmm. to hear like the passion, right? Like oh. this is how the powers deal with Christ. Yeah. Right? They're do just, what you see fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh I mean it's just it's heartbreaking to see the people that we've maybe elevated as examples be human. Well, yeah, yeah. But we've I, we've dealt with the the hardest and most difficult part of this passage today, um, and dealing with the like how rough it is and the mistakes that Abram and Sarai make and how it impacts another person um, and how we choose to treat one another in these situations. Like we've gotten a little bit into this power dynamic and now we're going to shift next week into Hagar specifically um, and her experience after being afflicted. um, Right, because the story has, this moment has kind of two parts or two and a half, almost three parts. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we just got through the setup today because that's how we roll. (laughs) Nice and slow. slow. Good conversations. Yeah. Good things to think about. Uh, Well, Join us next week and yeah. we'll hopefully finish the, we'll, the we'll Hagar's. We'll f- finally answer all the questions next time oh, on well. Crossing Over. Yeah, if we ever answer all the questions or say that, maybe it's time to stop listening to us. <laughs> I shouldn't say don't stop listening to us, but um, may we never say that. Amen. Because uh, every time I read this pas- passage, and this is true of all scripture. There's always something more. Yeah. There's always a different, um, I think Rabbi Allen used this image of like a diamond or a gem yeah. that has many cuts in it so that it reflects the light in all these different situations. Yeah. So everywhere you turn it, like it's still the diamond, right. but every way you turn it, you're going to see a slightly different reflection. And that's because of the light that's reflecting on it. It's right. because of where you are and the experiences you've had and how you've changed over the years. Um, it's why it's important to have multiple voices because you see through the eyes of other people as well. Mm-hmm. And we just get a fuller picture, but never a complete one. Amen. So, yeah. Amen. Toodles. <laughs> like.